Welcome to the Success IQ podcast, the show for entrepreneurs wanting to create and live an exceptional life. I'm your host, Jeff Nicholson. For those of you who are new to the show, welcome. I'm an expert in performance and mindset, supporting business owners to create exceptional results in life and business. And I achieve this through coaching, training, speaking, and my online programs. I started this podcast to discover how other thought and business leaders create and enjoy success, and to identify the common strategies and techniques, as well as the mindset they have adopted to live their version of exceptional. My aim is simple. It's for you to learn and implement the valuable lessons shared in these episodes. You deserve to live and enjoy an exceptional life, but in order to achieve this, you will need to adopt new strategies and ways of thinking to accomplish your goals. Now, don't forget to hit that subscribe button to make sure you don't miss any of these brilliant episodes. Head over to jeffnicholson.co.uk to register for my Kick Mediocrity in the Nuts newsletter, as well as all you need to know on how to connect with me on social media or join the Facebook group. Now, on with the show. This episode is brought to you by SalesFlare, the super easy to use CRM for small businesses selling to B2B. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are in the world. I truly hope you are having an amazing week. So today's guest is Aurora Winter, MBA. She is a best-selling author, TV producer, media coach, ghostwriter, and successful serial entrepreneur. Aurora uses her filmmaking expertise and neuroscience to help people communicate and get results. Whether it's raising seven figures for a startup, negotiating for a raise, or enrolling a new client. If you have ever wanted to write a book, become an in-demand speaker, or communicate more effectively, you will definitely want to stay tuned. Welcome to the show, Aurora. So great to be here with you, Jeff. I look forward to helping your listeners turn their words into wealth. Fantastic. Okay, Aurora, before we dive into this bunch of goodness, um, can you give us a little bit of a backstory of what's brought you to this point today? My background is as a film and television writer, producer, and the author of several books. I've always loved stories ever since I read C.S. Lewis's The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe as a child. And uh, fast forward, I now help people write their own books after making about all the rookie mistakes you possibly could with books. I've published six of my own books, and I'm a ghost writer. And now it just help, I just love helping people uh, actually put their expertise and their life experience experience and create value for others by having their own book. Fantastic. So I guess there's so many questions I can, I mean, obviously we talked about um, my, my um, debacle (laughs) of, um, of, of, being a bit slightly annoyed of my uh, writing and hard deleting 36,000 words. Um, Oh, That's heartbreaking, but you're not alone. On average, it takes people three and a half years to write a book if they're a first-time author. That's why I I invented the spoken author method to make it faster and easier. And a lot of my clients are dyslexic because just because you're dyslexic just means you're not a word wrangler, but a lot of dyslexic people have amazing insights and they have often a different way of thinking. So they have great business ideas, great innovative ideas, great uh, stories to tell. So I have about 50% of my clients are dyslexic. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. I I mean, I think, um, 
I think we're starting a trend. I think you're starting a trend no, after Richard uh, Branson. Yeah, I think Richard so. Branson made it okay <laughs> yeah, to well, be dyslexic. Course. All right. I'll give, I'll give it to Richard or Sir, Sir Richard, Richard before we, before uh, we, yeah, indeed. Um, so I guess the, the, uh, there's so many questions uh, I, I want to ask you about that, all of that sort of thing. So I guess the first thing is when we're talking about the book, um, the book writing process, um, and you've talked about the fact that, you know, it takes three three years plus to actually get that written on paper. What, um, or digital paper, what, um, I guess, where is the first place they start if someone's sitting here, they're listening and they're going, I've got a bloody book in me, and but I'm scared to actually put it in writing? Because I think part of the problem is, is they're, they're probably worried about the feedback as well. I mean, I mean, I know there's an awful lot of people out there, the grammar oh, yeah. police, and you know you who know you who are. You are. Um, who, yeah, who 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 don't under they don't know you, but they're prepared to go. Um, I love your article, but by the way, you missed a comma off. You should have used right. a semicolon. Exactly, th- it's the wrong two that you've used. Well, it's, am- um, it's amazing how many people ha- got criticism. You know, in in. Uh, school and we're told some teacher just melted their self-confidence around writing by saying one thing and they've carried that forward for decades so i would i would suggest that well obviously read my book turn words into wealth because i put uh, decades of knowledge into it and with the whole point of that book is to encourage people that they do have a right right? They have a book in them. I'm so excited. I'm stumbling over my words. They have a book in them, but also to, to, (laughs) yes, you do, but also to consider how are you going to monetize it? So to answer the question about how to start writing a book, most of your listeners are business owners, uh, reverse engineer it. So what are you trying to achieve with your book? How can that be a wonderful legacy asset, but also how can it be used to build your business? So there's, you know, multiple kinds of books. I help, I help people write fiction books. I help people write nonfiction books. But as your show is primarily for entrepreneurs and business owners, uh, a nonfiction book can be a great um, way to attract clients. So, for example, I wrote a very short book called Marketing Fast Track um, and I used that book after I had uh, zero business, zero job, nothing going on after I finished my MBA in 2015. So I just offered the book to my email list of about 12,000, which is not very big. And the people paid for the shipping and handling of that short book. And it generated $250,000 of new business in 90 days. Now, to be clear, that's not book sales business. That's from you know business business so that book marketing fast track which you can get for free on amazon or apple or wherever you like to get your books um it, it was only based on a one hour interview like this kind of interview and then i added a little bit of front and back matter so that shows the power of even a short book i would call that a client attraction book or a lead magnet book very short book 80 pages i believe it is and it did a lot because people like to get a physical book. I sent you a physical book. Something nice about holding a book and it also repels and attracts, which is what you want to do because 
business should be more like dating. <laughs> it's like, you don't want to be a, don't want to say any bad words on air, but you know, you want to have a filtering mechanism. So your book should express who you are, what you care about, what you're passionate about. So it will be a magnet attracting your ideal client. And it, it will also effectively filter away out the people who aren't your ideal. So that book, Marketing Fast Track, was, was a test. I had been training coaches and I wanted to respond to the demand. People kept saying, how did you get on radio? How to get it? How did you get on TV? How did you write so many books? So I thought, well, maybe people would be interested in getting my help with their marketing, their messaging and writing their book. So marketing fast track was an experiment to see, I don't know, will people want me to help them with that? And the answer was yes, to the tune of $250,000. So if your objective is to launch a new business or launch a new product or service, you might want to consider a short client attraction book. Now, the book that I mailed to you, uh, Jeff, Turn Words into Wealth, with the subtitle is Blueprint for Your Business, Brand, and Business to Make Multiple Streams of Income and Impact. That book took a lot longer to write. Uh, you know, it's a 200-page book versus an 80-page book. And that's the kind of book that would be good if your business objective is to speak on stage or do a TEDx talk or to launch to a higher level of clients once you've already tested that, yes, your business is working, but now you'd like to you know, double your business, or you'd like to attract, uh, you know, the higher end of that, of that side. So that's a rather long answer, but does that, does that help? Yeah, it does. And I, and I think, you know, from, even from, from just that, that brief answer is, is, it's probably an awful lot of people see writing a book as a bigger obstacle than it is, especially not only when you've got people like yourself, but, but also even with technology out there about how, you can collect the data. I mean, I always use it's ironic. I'm dyslexic. I hate writing a book, but I actually find the writing process cathartic because because I speak because obviously you speak sometimes faster than you're thinking, but the the typing process actually slows my brain down. It's just I can't understand what I've written. Um, you know, so it's, it's, it's like, it's like you're stuck between a rock and a hard place, but then there's things like, I don't know, Rev or Otter or all, all those sort of transcription softwares that will, that can allow you to capture the data in, in easier ways. Well, what, what I find works well is a going back and forth between the verbal and the, the written or the typed or the long hand, because then you're triggering different parts of your brain and body and accessing different me memories, because depending on what you're doing physically, different things come up. So with my clients, but people can can do this themselves, you know, reverse engineer what the what the goal is. Most nonfiction books solve a problem. So stop thinking about yourself and think, well, what what are those frequently asked questions that cost me the sale? What do people need to know about what I do? What do people need to know about mindset coaching? What do people need to know about the value of having a coach? Well, how could I solve uh, a mindset problem for them? How can this book be really valuable? But at the same time, how can I teach them that mindset coaching is what the top tier of high performers all do? 
without exception. How can I, how can I uh, quantify from my client stories, my client successes, but also I could take from other places as well. How can I quantify the difference of having a mindset coach or without a mindset coach? So people can go, oh, well, I have to spend X on getting a mindset coach, but if I get 10 X in return, that's not a cost. That's a, that's an investment that's got a great ROI. So you would, you would think this all through. And then if you were a client of mine, we would have a conversation about it uh, back and forth, because I find that's the best way to trigger new stories. Then I would turn that into text and send it to you. And then you would go, oh yeah, but that reminds me of this other story, which we could either then record or you could type it out. So back and forth, back and forth. Um, and and uh, thinking about two things, what problem are you solving for the reader? Start there, not with your story about you were where you were born and when you went to elementary school and I'm a Virgo, right? But then also think about what are the things that cost you the sale or what are those frequently asked questions? Teach people how to give you money. If you're a business owner, teach them how that is not an expense, but an investment, but qualify them and say, hey, if you're this, this, and this, and this, this will be a great return on your investment. But if you're not, and then describe the person who is not an ideal client for whatever you do, then it won't be an ideal investment. So for you, you would describe your ideal entrepreneur or leader who really has uh, something sticking in their craw that's preventing them from jumping up to the next level, they'll find mindset coaching and a great return on their investment. For me, I would describe, you know, a, a, a professional or a business owner running a seven figure business or a professional who's got a mid six figure business, like a dentist or a lawyer, but then you could also describe who they are not. So, People who have a poetry book and no business probably would not find investing in my services a great ROI. <laughs> but people who are already running a business, like I've had business owners go from $1.5 to $6 million on the back of getting clear on their message and having a book. Yeah. And, and, but do you think part, part of the, the, the sort of idea of the book is some people are thinking it's just a... a, a a print money process you know like they go for well, if i get a book all of a sudden i'm gonna i'm gonna make it but they don't have any strategy behind it well this is this is exactly right so in the the book turn words into wealth i i outlined seven different ways to make seven figures with the book but they are all business ways because my book is for for business owners and 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 leaders and experts and entrepreneurs so it, it's like okay you can uh, speaking training consulting workshops um, these kinds of things you know, even movies, et cetera. So think through your back ends before you finish the book or before you start it. But um, yes, I think a lot of people make the mistake of firstly, they don't get clear what is the value of the book? What problem does it solve? Secondly, they forget, hello, this is an engine for your business. And, and you know, I love, there's another book that, um, that I refer to, it's called Significant Objects. And I love this book because it provides an example. So this is the kind of example I would love everybody to have in their book. Maybe you've got an example from Mindset Coaching you could share in a minute, Jeff. But they, what they did is they put 100 different objects on eBay with a story 
and without a story. And they even said, you know, P.S., this is an experiment. <laughs> so they were, they were transparent about it. And the stories were not hype. They were some of them were downers. Some of them were, you know, encouraging. And for example, one would be, you know, I inherited this pot mitt from my grandmother who passed on and have such fond memories of her making chocolate chip cookies for me, you know, and, and that was just so precious. So, you know, it just added significance, no value really to me <laughs> if I buy that pot mitt. Well, guess, Jeff, how much more things sold for on eBay with a story versus without a story. Yeah, yeah, it's probably a, probably a hell of a lot more. Are you going to guess? Uh, 50% more. That's what most people say, around 50%. Well, it's a safe bet, isn't yeah. it? 2,700%. Yeah. <laughs> 27 times more. So that's the real value in your story and in your book. When you take the time to get your stories clear enough to put in a book, you then have access to those stories when you're speaking or talking to somebody. And I'm not, I'm certainly not guaranteeing that your business will grow 27x, but but I think most people, most business owners spend too much time working on their product or their service or fine tuning exactly how much they're going to pay a new employee. And they spend almost no time working on their on their stories, on their message, on their book. And they could potentially be leaving 27 times the value on the table of certainly leaving a lot of money on the table. Wow. But I also think there's a thing and, and, and maybe it's a British thing, but it's um, people don't like talking about themselves. So there's that. So there's that. There's the, 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 like for me, I get it completely because the whole reason I do what I did is because of my story. I wouldn't, I wouldn't even be a coach if I hadn't have gone through what I went through. And when I can speak to people and relate on many levels, the stories are, are the, not only my story, but as you say, is, you know, since God knows how long we've liked to sit in front of a fire and tell stories because, you know, fables and parables and all of those great things from the Bible and everything else, they, they are the best ways to teach lessons. Um, and uh, my mentor, Jack Canfield, he collected stories and wrote chicken soup for the soul. That, so that did um, rather phenomenally well. <laughs> it did do a little bit well, didn't it? I think it's Guinness Book of Records and um, God knows how many books he's written now in that series. I think it's about 32, but they're stories. Yeah, they're stories. I, I, stories are the DNA of humanity's expertise. And your story attracts so many people, Jeff, because we do business with people. You know, do you want to share your story? Um, well, I mean, the listeners have heard my story, but it's, um, but the ultimately, I mean, the, the thing that sticks in my head with the, the things is how interesting is, is when I started in this industry, I started, um, I wanted to learn hypnotherapy because I was fascinated with the power of language and, when you do, you know, obviously some people they'll, you know, you just read from a script, but when the way I was taught is, is it was taught to um, free create. So it was to create the theme based on the patient's challenges at that minute and word weave in a story into that that's relative. Um, 
and I find I find it amazing when you can when you can introduce a story that adds them or scenarios that they are going through. Um, like one of the best ones, the ones I love is. Um, have you ever heard of the chicken and the chicken? That's going to be a joke. The carrot, the egg, and the coffee bean story. Okay, so the the chicken. The, I keep mentioning chicken, but the chicken's done the egg. There's a there's basically is an old woman talking to her granddaughter, and she's talking about you know the challenges that she has and asking her about how how she deals with adversity, and she says, you know, are you the chicken? The bloody hell, the the egg, the um the carrot or the coffee bean, and the, the the little girl says, I've got no idea what you're talking about, and she says, well look, so she puts the egg in a cup, she puts the carrot in a cup, and she puts the coffee bean in a cup. And she pours boiling water and she says, this is adversity. So what do you do? She pours the the water into all of the cups and she says, are you the egg that initially was hard shell but soft center, but then when adversity hits, its shell is brittle and it turns hard and doesn't really express its emotions like it should. Or are you the carrot that when, although it's solid and firm and very rigid, when adversity comes, it goes soft and weak and doesn't stand with it. He said, she said, but, or would you like to be more like the coffee bean that actually turns adversity to its advantage and becomes that it becomes turns the turns the adversity into something of flavor and experience um and it's at the end the story says you know when we're born we're the ones crying and everyone else around us is smiling when we die let us be the ones smiling and everyone else around us crying and that yeah you know that and i think is history has these are made like there's some lovely Japanese stories of fables of the Japan, you know, Japan, Japanese or metaphors and those sort of things that these stories have such an amazing word now, but, but the power of the story is, is when you're speaking to someone, they probably won't necessarily listen to you. Certainly I experienced this in the therapy process. They don't listen to it. If you go, well, this is what you should do. <laughs> but when you can tell a story through it, it's bypassing their blocks and going in because like, Oh, okay. Oh, can I? And then they, their brain starts working on that in the background. Um, and, uh, yeah. Oh, absolutely. Well, music, you know, I always find it amazing how you can not hear a tune in 25 years. And as soon as the tune goes off, you've already got the lyrics in your head. I think that's the amazing power of music and it speaks to your soul on so many different levels. Exactly right. Well, you've studied hypnotism and, and coaching. So it's only one step away from that to understand the, the neuroscience of communication. So that story you just told, you know, really worked with the neuroscience of communication. So that's the other thing I'd really love to leave your listeners with is study, study the neuroscience of communication so that you understand how to communicate with others, how to communicate with yourself and have a, a positive mindset, because most of us have been taught at university the exact wrong way <laughs> to share information. <laughs> Ah, the power of education, right? So we do a data dump. Like we assume that, oh, if we have something uh, complicated to share, we'll just send the other person the verbal equivalent of an Excel spreadsheet. 
but that doesn't work, right? <laughs> That's not how people actually like to communicate. So if you understand the neuroscience of communication, which you demonstrated beautifully with that story, Jeff, then you will communicate in three stages and, and, and that can make all the difference to how, how the person hears your, your story. And I could go farther into that, um, or I could tell another kind of story, but what questions are coming up for you, Jeff? No, I, I'm interested. What, what, what for you are the three stages of that communication set, um, model? Well, let me tell you a little story so that you'll remember it. <laughs> Okay, so imagine that you're in the movie Game of Thrones, but you have a very important message for the king and queen, but you're on this beautiful stallion, you're outside of the castle, obviously, and you've got your super important message, which could be, you know, what your business wants to communicate or an enrolling conversation or, ah, the, uh, the Romans are coming, some kind of message like that. All right, so you gallop up to the castle on your beautiful uh, stallion, but what? Are the king and queen standing outside there waiting for you, Jeff? No, they are not. In fact, there's a moat and there's crocodiles and the drawbridge is up. So the first step is to get past the crocodile or the ancient reptilian brain. So we just call that the croc brain. And what does the crocodile want to know? It doesn't want an Excel spreadsheet. It does not compute Excel spreadsheets. It just wants to know, is this something new? Is this something interesting? Does Jeff have something valuable or flashy? It's kind of a little bit like a crow. It likes uh, shiny baubles. So you, you say something very brief about what you're about, like the power of mindset, coaching can transform lives, whatever your, your one sentence thing is. And the crocodile goes, oh, I haven't heard 49 people today talking about that. Let Jeff on in. Okay, so then the drawbridge comes down, you trot across, you have done stage one, which is get past the croc brain, it just requires a short message that's something new, good, something to mate with, something to eat, something good. Then are the king and queen waiting for you on the other side of the drawbridge? No, they are not. So you have the, the middle of the castle. So we have the midbrain, which is about the social connections and about status and hierarchy. So you get in and they look at you. They're like, well, your horse looks pretty good from a distance, but you know, are you dressed in rags? Do you smell like you haven't had a bath for a month? No. So they check you out. They sniff you out, literally. <laughs> and if you pass the, the social test or the midbrain test, then you can go on. If you fail it, then you stop and you die there. So that's the sort of thing like you mentioned earlier, my mentor, Jack Canfield. That's a little bit of social validation, right? Oh, you know, Jack, you studied under him. Oh, that's good for, you know, in, in my case, my book, Turn Words into Wealth, has won nine book awards in 2021. Some of us call it the best new business book uh, that's independently published in 2021. Okay, so that's the status. So you do a little bit of that and then you go on to the next stage or you fail. <laughs> if, if they're like reject, he's actually stole that horse and he doesn't come from any that we know. All right. So then you, in your, con, in your conversation, you handle these, the status. That's a good reason for having a book right there. It changes the whole conversation. It increases your status because the root word of authority is author. Okay. So the midbrain we've done. And then the third step, the, uh, the nobles in the inner keep take you into the, into the um, throne room. And there you get to talk to uh, Cersei Lannister and her crazy son, Joffrey. <laughs> so I'm oversimplifying, but 
if you had an audience in the, the movie or the series Game of Thrones, would you go on for an hour and then see what they had to say? No, you would. You would give a little bit and then see how that was received and then give a little bit more and see how that was received. Now, I'm oversimplifying because this is not exactly right, but it's helpful. Imagine, imagine if you had um, that you're speaking uh, the male language quote unquote, of uh, analysis and numbers and the more female language, again, quote unquote, of stories and emotions and more holistic. So you would mix it up. You would make sure that you do a little bit of each. You would make sure that both Joffrey and Cersei, both the male and the female are listening. And as you are in the throne room, you would start with small bits. And then as you get them engaged, you would go on to longer and longer bits. So those are the three steps. First, get past the crock brain with your short, snappy, something in it for you. I did that right at the beginning of this podcast. I said, I'm looking forward to helping your audience turn their words into wealth. That was crock brain, you know, and then the midbrain, the social connection, the status, the you're okay, I'm okay thing. And then Thirdly, you can get into the into the details of it. So the details, for example, when I said the 27x story, that was more um, that was more for the crock brain because there were some numbers there and there was, a, you know, a, a more a longer story. So so everybody can do that. You could do this. <laughs> yeah, no, that's brilliant. That's brilliant. That's fantastic. And, and great because that's that's fascinating. I think that's the thing is, is, is when you. Uh, for me, it always goes down with the plan and the strategy. If you're wanting to do a book or anything, doesn't matter whether it's a book or whatever, you've got to have a strategy behind it because you've got to understand when the end, the outcome and the end point is because you have to have something to be able to go, okay, well, what's my, what are my KPIs or what are my ROIs or, or all of those cool acronyms? Um, you've got to understand that what, it, what the energy or what is the cost of the energy and then what is the return? to do it because whether it whether you find writing easy or not that's just one element it's the other bits that also come to it to be able to create either you know if you're lucky enough to 27x your your story and and your book to create you know is what you is what you said you did with the $250,000 it it's all of that is it, it there's a system and a formula to it it's not just you know field of dreams I'll write it and they'll come um, which I do think is one of the biggest problems with um, an awful lot of people. And maybe it's not just in my space and the how to, but I do think there's an awful lot of people that do it with the, the thought process of if I close my eyes, I'll manifest it. Um, when I love the secret, but I do think that's the biggest problem with it is people just think they don't have to take action. They just can close their eyes and it'll come. Um and I think that's the biggest problem is, is too many people think of one step and not the five or six steps that actually it requires. You have to have an overall strategy and, and, you know, the book needs to solve a problem. It needs to be written in an engaging and interesting way, but it also needs to have an eye to building you up as a business owner or as an expert or speaker, whatever the, the goal is. And then it needs to be, uh, it doesn't start, you know, like we said early the day you were born, <laughs> you, you want to start with what's most interesting to 
to the reader. Um, and that's the other thing I really like about the spoken author method that uh, we do at Same Page Publishing is that pe- most people, um, when they're talking about things that they know about, their areas of expertise or their own life experience, they can talk about 8,000 words an hour. They can maybe, even if they wrote all day, they would maybe only write a thousand words. Uh, in an in an in a an hour, they could maybe write four hundred words. Eight hundred words would be a lot for a first time writer to write in an hour. So it's about ten times as effective, at uh, tw- ten times as productive, and and also it just naturally catch captures the person's energy and their voice and their cadence and their natural rhythm of talking rather than them shutting down with the, <laughs> the, the grammar coach uh, idea, you know, the, that nasty teacher that they had. It was like, mind your semicolons. Did you? I, I had one of those teachers. I had one of those. Yeah, she refused to teach me because she said I was stupid. Um, so I spent so I spent an entire year in the corner whenever I was at her lessons. She was oh a lovely gosh. lady. That's a lovely that's lady. That's terrible. Yeah. So that, that, what was that British private school, probably? Yeah, well, the only <laughs> thing she was missing was a cane and me having to wear that cat at the top. But she did. She literally she literally refused to teach me because I struggled because of because of my dyslexia, and she obviously didn't understand. She didn't understand it. Um, she was too busy using a cauldron, probably. But she was, um, yes. Yeah, so, so for me, the, and ironically, whenever I go to write, that's the first person I, I, I in my mind's eye I see behind me in an orange cardigan, talking to me when I'm writing. So it, you know, it, yeah, it's an it it shows how you know not only what an what a huge responsibility teachers have in education because I'm 46 years old. You know, I know that I've got, I'm, I'm more intelligent than I thought I was when I was however old I was at that point, but the demon is still there. Um, yeah. And we all have them. It doesn't matter, you know, in, you know, in some form or shape in some area of our life, we have those things. Those demons, those demons don't go away. It, it, yeah. Whenever anyone is shamed, as it sounds like you were, it, it could just leave an emotional scar. And unless someone else comes along and heals it, uh, then it can can uh, prevent us from being our, our greatest selves and making our biggest contribution. When was your uh, dyslexia diagnosed? Uh, I was probably about 11, 10 or 11 years old. Um, I might have been, I know actually I probably was younger. I was probably about, I was probably about nine probably actually. Um, I've still got the report somewhere actually. Um, yeah, it's written like archaic. It's like 1940s paper with typewriters. There's no computer bullshit on this thing. It's like, it's like proper old fashioned typing. Um, but yeah, so I was, I was diagnosed with that and, uh, I guess social anxiety and stuff as well from well, it. Well, who um, wouldn't have social yeah, anxiety was, sitting in the corner with that teacher with the orange cardigan? Well, I think in, as well as I mean, thank God. I mean, both of my kids are, are dyslexic, but the the world 
has moved on massively. I mean, we like we like celebrate Richard Branson's and um, Tom Cruise's and Orlando Bloom's and all of those. Um, and there's a chef in the UK called Jamie Oliver. Um, we 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 celebrate them for the actually. And what we've identified is is that actually, as you said at the beginning, people who think differently doesn't mean there's something wrong with them. It actually means that actually there's some possible huge benefits to that because I don't th- I know I don't think logically like my sisters but just because I don't think in a straight line doesn't mean that I don't get to the same destination and and well I would say maybe you don't think linearly like your sisters but it, it could have its own magical logic to it yeah well and, and also is is because of the way I've been because of the way I am now and because of my experiences, I'm quite happy to ask the stupid questions if I don't understand. That's the key to breaking through, being willing to ask. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's one of the things that my clients, you know, I say when I work with my clients, I'm going to ask you stupid questions to try and understand exactly what's going on, because some people may not have asked these questions before. And that can really help the clients, too, because oftentimes we don't examine if we if we are at Z, we don't examine A, B, C, D. And we just assume A, A, Z or A, Z, depending on who who's listening. Um, But, yeah, if you could just. okay, well, let's see. You went from here to here to here to here. Oh, wait a minute. There's a hole. There's a hole in your thinking around G. Because, well, because you're, you know, as a role, you know, you do it the same when, when you coach, is you're a perspective changer. You know, it's, it's, it's okay. You've always looked at it this way, but what happens if you come in from this angle? And it's not until you look at, you know, well, in simplistic forms, it's not until you look at every angle is when you see the right path. So it's, it's being able to be able to willing to do that and have the courage to go, yeah, okay, I'll look at it at a different angle. How how much does ego get in the way of writing a book? <laughs> well, it does get in the way. There's a, a couple of different ways that it can can bite you. One is arrogance at the very beginning and not thinking about the reader. Uh, just like I'm super famous, so everybody should want to know about all my life. So that that's one way that arrogance can bite you. <laughs> well. And that and that book might still be worth writing, but it might just be for you and your family. Um, but the other place that uh, it, it can bite you is not asking for help and not being willing to align with a team and not going, you know what, I'm really good at mindset coaching or I'm really good at uh, being a lawyer or I'm really good at running this uh, this um, artificial intelligence company. But am I a writer? Am I an editor? Am I a book cover designer? Am I a book marketer? Do I know how to be a guest on, you know, podcasts and radio and TV? So that's another place it can uh, trip you up. And then I think the third place that arrogance uh, trips people up is right near the finish line. Uh, I need to help my clients through this Almost every time it's like the book is done. They've had the advanced reader comments. It's been polished. And then it's just about to be published. And then 
panic. <laughs> there's a like a there's the dark night of the soul. Like, who am I to publish a book? Um, what if this is not well received? What if it doesn't make um, uh, a lick of difference? What if it doesn't da 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 da? And I think the the way through that, which is the same kind of feeling that speakers often have, just before they take the microphone, the way through that is to be humble. Uh, because it really, whether you're speaking at the stage or you're solving your client's problem with your business or you're publishing your book, if you are coming from the the genuine desire to be a contribution to others and to help others, and if you've gotten clear on who your ideal reader is or who your ideal client is or who the ideal listener is in that audience that you're addressing, and you're taking a stand for that person, then you can be okay with you know, and not being for everybody. I had this myself. My first published book is actually my diary of healing, actual pages from my diary. Uh, it's called From Heartbreak to Happiness, An Intimate Diary of Healing. And it was endorsed by my hero, Dr. Wayne Dyer. And it is my diary of healing after my husband died suddenly at the age of 33, leaving me widowed with a four-year-old son. And I I wanted to write the book because I I thought, you know, this is the book I wanted to read when my heart was broken. I wanted to know, should I just shoot myself now and get this over with? Or is there a light at the end of the tunnel? And what does this journey look like anyway? And at that point, I didn't really want, you know, five steps to overcoming your grief. I just wanted somebody who had been on that path. And so, but it was so hard for me to allow that book to be published right at the very last minute. Because I'm like, it's my diary and I didn't airbrush it. I didn't clean it up on purpose because I didn't want people to read from heartbreak to happiness and go like, well, I can't even grieve right. Aurora got through this without the, you know, the uh, the raccoon eyes from mascara running, you know, metaphorically. So I, I thought it would be um, it could injure people if I airbrushed it, so to speak. And so what helped me publish that book was I just decided this is for one person. If this book can help one person avoid one night of agony because they know that they're not alone and they know that Aurora went from heartbreak to happiness, so it's possible that I could go through it too, then it's worth it. And so with that perspective, it was it was uh, easy to publish the book, and then the book actually helped many, many more people than I expected. And it also helped people. I honestly thought it would only help other young widows with young children whose husbands died suddenly. But I was moved when so many people said, you know what, I got fired from my job, and it was my 20-year career, and I was heartbroken, and your book really helped me. Or I went through a divorce, and your book really helped me. Or even I, I lost my 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 dog that was so precious to me and your book really helped me. And I'm like, really? Wow. So it's the human experience. So anyway, long story, but um, being of service is how we can keep that nasty ego, um, how we can tame it. It's not a nasty thing. Uh, let me take that back. It is a useful, uh, it's a useful thing. When, when it's right, when you, when it, when it, it, it enters itself and can be useful, but it can also be a double-edged sword, can't it? When it's the servant, not the master. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's, in, it's interesting because, you know, when stories have that, when books have that amazing power because there's certain books that you think, how can they, how can that even be used as a business book? Like The Art of War by Sun Tzu. 
that's a business book now. And it's like it was created for people in battle. Or or the the one that I love, I read every single year is The Alchemist by Palio Coelho. Um, oh, I love The Alchemist. And yeah. you might look at it and go, how can people look at like I read it because every time I read it, something else comes up. It's 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 one of those magical books. Um, See, when we have a commitment to capital T truth, the book can have a bigger impact than you would expect, which is true, I think, of The Alchemist and The Art of War. As I mentioned, this episode is sponsored by SalesFlare. So do you have more work with your CRM that you can keep up with? While other CRM software expects you to fill it out manually, SalesFlare automates all of the data input for you. All you need to do is just head to salesflare.com and using the code SUCCESSIQ, you can get 20% off for the next three months. Join me and many other users around the world in using this automated and super easy to use CRM for small businesses selling B2B. Now, on with the show. Right, well, we're going to jump on to the second part of the show because this is, this, is, this, is this is like an omnibus. The first <laughs> question is, on average, how much time roughly do you dedicate to self-development a week? I would say two to three hours a day. So I meditate in the morning. I work out uh, almost every day. I read uh, every day. So, and, and many times I'll read more than an hour, but about two or three hours and it's worth it. Yep. Brilliant. Okay. Number two, what book, any book has made the biggest impact to your self-development or personal growth and why? I love the book, The Talent Code by Daniel Coyle. This is such a great book. If you haven't read it, Jeff, I totally recommend it. He talks about time. I've actually got it on my list. I've actually got it in front of, I'm looking at it right now in my pile of books to Oh, it's so great. He talks about why were there periods of uh, incredible surges in genius and innovation and art, and then there were other fallow periods in human history. And he isolates the three things that make a difference. And these are three things that we can all use. Uh, the, uh, the first thing is you have to want it. So you have to have ignition. So you have to decide that you want your goal. Um, the second thing is you need to be willing to devote time to working on it. He calls that deep practice. And the third thing is what you do, Jeff. It's having a coach or mentor to help you. So those are the three ing ingredients to helping talent grow. And I love how he says that talent isn't born, it's grown. And you can grow your own talent by deciding it, what it is that you want which is ignition, number two, devoting the time to practice, and number three, getting a mentor or coach such as yourself, Jeff, or myself. And number three, what app makes the biggest impact to your business or personal life? I want to share the app Descript, D-E-S-C-R-I-P-T. So this is when I interview people to help them make their book, we get video, which we use later for uh, social media, but I run the video through Descript and it spits out the uh, the transcript, but it also has the um, the uh, video attached to the words, so I can easily edit the video. Oh, you know, say like your story with your your um, I want to say chicken now with your kid. 
Hey, Is it? I have and no idea where that chicken came from. I think from. it came from uh, Jack Canfield and Chicken Soup for the Soul. Yeah, probably, yeah. Probably, you know, so yeah. we can very easily just take that story and clip it out without having to agonize with looking at sound waves because Descript shows me the, the words. I, I love me apps. I'll have to have a look at that one. Um, <laughs> um, number four is what's your biggest business mistake that turned into a valuable lesson and then what did it teach you? Well, I've made a lot of business mistakes, but to choose a recent one, um, what COVID and the pandemic taught me is not to try to be all things to all people. So when the pandemic hit, I was actually hosting an event in in Mexico, which was lovely and I I absolutely loved it. But when things shut down with the pandemic, I, I just thought, okay, Aurora, what is it that you love to do? And who is that worth the most to? Most people know about the Pareto principle, the 80-20 rule, you know, that 20% of your clients will bring you 80% of your revenue. So I did that twice. So I took the top 20% and I took 20% of that 20%, which is 4%. And if you do that, you will find that mathematically speaking, anyway, 4% of your clients or your activities bring you 64% of your revenue. So that's, that's, um, that clarity was uh, in my face after COVID made me realize, oh, I'm not going to be having any events in 2020. Um, so I stopped doing events and I doubled down on really helping, you know, VIPs, experts, entrepreneurs, leaders uh, write, publish and promote their books. And it came from, from, from the pandemic. And I guess, you know, uh, try to serve 100% of the people who would like my help. There's, there's nothing more that'll get you more focused than the pandemic. Yeah, that's so true. Yeah. And, 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 and our generation is definitely the one that can attest to that. Cause I don't, you know, I, but I, I often have this conversation with people. I don't know how they survived the Spanish one because I mean, TV didn't exist. Nothing existed. It was just like, no, no Netflix. Yeah, exactly. I mean, there's no Zoom or anything like that. I mean, how the heck they even did anything was is bonkers. It's like I said to my lads, I said, if, if it happened when I was born, we only had three TV channels in the UK. And they didn't have like groceries, home delivery. That was not all organized. Yeah, no. Uh... No, nothing. It's just just bonkers. Um, I mean, they wouldn't miss it because they didn't know it existed. So, you know, but... But it's, uh, yeah, it's crazy. Um, question number five, what are your challenges in harmonizing work and life and how do you manage them? Well, that's always a challenge because I, I I want to do more. I want to make a bigger difference. I want to help more people. I want to write my own books more. So, but I think that the tip that would be useful is every night when I go to sleep, I count my blessings. I actually do this this three three gratitude process that I learned from Dr. Martin Seligman, and um, all I do is I just review the day and I point out three things that went well. And then I add to that by saying what characteristic I had, how did I show up that helped that go well? And uh, then I bless my family and my friends and my clients. So falling asleep with that gratitude and sending a blessing out, I think really helps me sleep better rather than going to sleep thinking, I didn't get, you know, item number 11 on my to-do list done. Only 11. Jeez. Um, okay. Number six, what advice would you give an entrepreneur that you wish you had known starting out? Mm. Boy, so many things I would like to say. 
I think solve problems. Entrepreneurs solve problems at a profit. So what problems can you solve profitably? It will be something that you're good at, but also it should be something that you love to do and that you would be willing to do the talent code things. So, you know, that you're really committed to, but that you're willing to spend the time of deep practice. So, you know, my, my challenge to everybody, but I do it myself also, is um, how much time are you willing to spend to get better at your craft? So I'm reading every day. I'm reading, you know, great authors. I'm rereading The Hobbit for the nth time. You know, I'm listening to audios about how to promote books. Like I am deeply engaged at improving um, how I help others create, publish, and promote books and, and myself too. So you want to look for something that you're willing to put that time in because you, you love it and you want to be a master at it or become better at it. So solve problems that you love to solve and that you'd be willing to devote Maybe a decade is too long for most listeners, but that you'd be willing to devote a couple of years to so that you're not just a flash in the pan. Uh, number seven, what is your personal definition of success? Well, I have the mission of launching thought leaders because I think that the biggest contribution I can personally make to the world is to help people who are already up to something good reach more people with their message so that they can speak on stage and they have a book and they have a clear, compelling, concise way to talk about what they do. So that's how I'm defining success at this at this uh, stage of my life for the next decade. Cool, cool. Um, number eight, you've mentioned some of the routines that you do. Is there any others that you have or rituals that make a huge positive impact to your day? Well, I have a challenge for everybody. It's a 90 day challenge. I promise if you do this, it will change your life. And if it doesn't, then you can complain to me on LinkedIn. You can DM me on LinkedIn. It works for me. So and the 90 day, do this every day for 90 days. I promise it's transformative. So write every day. It can just be in your journal. It doesn't have to be to create anything. You could just be venting how upset you were about that argument you had with somebody. Um, but every day, even if it's only a sentence, take five minutes, make it a habit. The second habit is read every day. The amount of amazing things you can learn by reading books by phenomenal thought leaders. Read, read The Alchemist. That's a great one. Or The Art of War or The War of Art. That's also good. Um, so read every day. And again, it could be a page. It could be a paragraph, but make it a habit. And then the third one is, I uh, call it radical review, which is once a week, perhaps on Sunday, just quickly review what you what you wrote about in your journal. What are you complaining about? What are you uh, joyful about? And um, notice what stood out to you from the reading that you did that week. What I noticed when I did this is I, I noticed patterns of complaining. And then I'm like, okay, I'm tolerating that thing. I should just handle it or stop whining about it. But I also noticed when I did this, I noticed how many prayers had been answered that I wasn't appropriately grateful for because I prayed for help with something three months earlier and it took, you know, a few months for it to happen, by which time I'd forgotten that I asked for help with that. And so it will increase your gratitude and it will help you in a way mindset coach yourself, um, which is a good start. Then you can also work with, with Jeff to get the full meal deal of the coaching. So I call that radical reading, radical writing, radical review. Do it for 90 days and let me know on LinkedIn how it goes. 
Um, so we're at the final part of the show. This is, gives you the opportunity to share um, with the audience how we can find out more about you and all of the other cool stuff. And we'll make sure it goes in the show notes and the website. Um, so please take it away. Oh, thank you, Jeff. Well, if people are interested in getting my help to create a book, they can sign up for a complimentary business breakthrough call at book call.biz so bookcall.biz and we can explore if they have a good business a good idea for a book and how we can help them you can also go to my website which is my name aurorawinter.com a-u-r-o-r-a-w-i-n-t-e-r.com and you can find out all the social media links and various gifts etc that you can get if you're one of those people who hate signing up for email lists you can get my book marketing fast track which is the little book that launched a new business $250,000 in 90 days for free on Amazon, on Apple, on Kobo, on Google Play, wherever you like to get your books. And if you'd like to say hello and let me know how you liked my book, Turn Words Into Wealth, or just say hi and how you enjoyed this show, I'd love to hear from you. And LinkedIn is the place where I hang out the most. So it's just linkedin.com slash in slash Aurora Winter. So yeah, this was so much fun, Jeff. I really appreciated getting to know you and serving your listeners. No, thank you. Thank you. I've, um, I could talk to you for hours and we're definitely going to have to get you back on uh, the show. Um, just as the final words, thank you so much for taking the time out and wishing you the greatest success. Uh, you as well, Jeff. Take care. So first of all, just let me say a massive thank you for joining me today. It's lovely to know that you're out there listening and it's great to have the emails that I get from you with suggestions about the show and what you think about the show. That's really nice. Really does help me make the show even better. If you'd like to find out more about me and the types of services I offer or my social media links, then please visit www.jeffnicholson.uk. You can also join us on the Facebook page. Just search for Success IQ Podcast. And that's a new page that we've put up that I'm trying to grow and develop. So you can tune in and find us on other stations such as Stitcher, SoundCloud, TuneIn Radio, and of course, iTunes. And if you have the time, it would be great if you could pop over there, leave a rating, leave a review, because it really does help me grow the show and make the impact that I'm really looking for. So just to say, I hope you have a fantastic week. I wish you the greatest success and I look forward to speaking to you next week. Take care.